0: The following is a conversation with Aaron. As we know on this podcast, divorce is always tragic, especially for the children. But sometimes tragedy takes on an ever more serious dimension. Aaron's story illustrates the consequences of divorce years later, how one delicate situation leads to the next complicated situation, which leads to the next impossible situation. Aaron lost his young daughter less than a year ago, and he wasn't able to save her despite trying everything he could. It's very difficult to hear a father speak about losing a child, so... Of course I can only imagine how difficult it was for Aaron to share it with me, which is his first time publicly discussing it. We get to hear about Aaron's marriage, his divorce, the post-divorce process, remarriage, uh, his children's alienation from him, and ultimately his daughter's passing from an eating disorder after years of suffering silently. This episode is intense and truly moving. I hope you will gain from it. You're listening to the Let's Get Serious podcast,
1: the relationship podcast for from men, single, married, separated, divorced. There's something here for the whole heaven. Here's your
0: host, Nathan Gettysburg. Thanks for listening to the Let's Get Serious podcast. We have on the show today Aaron, who has a really Uh, riveting and sometimes difficult story to share about his experience. Uh, It's very brave of you, Aaron, to come on the show. I know a little bit about your story now, but um, I want to talk to you more about it and uh, give other people the opportunity to hear what you went through and uh, hopefully get some chizok and uh, understand also what is out there. That just, you know, is something I know that this is something you've you rarely ever talk about, even in your inner circles. Definitely not in public. So, I uh, really want to thank you for coming on and speaking to me today. So, uh, welcome, Aron.
1: Thank you, Nathan. Thank you for having me, and uh, thank you for this important initiative.
0: Absolutely, you're right.
1: Men, um, particularly men who are, um, you know, head of household, are not comfortable sharing and talking or seeking attention in in these on these topics, and often. Suffer in silence. So, Mr. To, to you for taking on this initiative.
0: Yeah, I really hope that I could make some little amount of difference, and definitely having you on the show is uh, is a big part of that. So, uh, I'll just start off like just getting a little bit of general background. Like, uh, so let's let's just start with you know w- how old were you when you got married? Around you know how many kids do you have? Uh, and getting divorced, what was that process like? Let's just start with, with your background, you know, just a general overview.
1: Sure. Um, I grew up in a Hasidic home in the, uh, in the Brooklyn area and then left there to uh, other parts of the country and other parts of the world. My parents were involved in, in education and in chinuch. I then came back to America to become uh, to, to learn in yeshiva, and that was the beginning of an expanded independence. I didn't stay in yeshiva. I continued. I went to work soon after yeshiva and maintained an independence in my, you know, being self sufficient and and as a result, resourceful. Got married at 24, which is a little bit late for our circle, and um, began a family with all the right intentions, with all the right hopes and dreams. And I thought we made a commitment to each other that we were going to be uh, committed to a, a certain. A lifestyle in, in, with certain values and certain standards and a, a, a way, of, you know, to, to raise our children in the chinuch and the and the and the style of what we I thought was uh, I thought we were on the same page.
0: Was she from um, the same kind of background as you?
1: No, Orthodox, yeah, but not Hasidic. She left the we can just call it the base Yaakov is general enough the base Yaakov system, seeking a less a restrictive or less punitive type of environment. And she was attracted to a Hasidic philosophy that seemingly on the outside didn't have as many expectations or, or scrutiny. Um, and that was actually very appealing to me initially, like, you know, as if huh, you yeah. know, we must have something right if we can attract someone from, from one school of thought to our school of thought.
2: mm
0: mm-hmm was that a source of friction uh in, in general in your marriage or that was just something that not at all that's great
1: not at all no it was um it was the first the first years seemingly were okay until you know until much later on when it was discovered that mm-hmm. there was lush and horror about yeah. me very early on in marriage but mm-hmm. i didn't you know, i didn't know that and i just focused on what we agreed to do and we we uh, we we you know we built a home and we had we had, uh, we had several children, several being more than six, mm-hmm. wow. and um, very close in age. And we were we had a very a very big open home. Always had a lot of guests. Always a, a center of, of of excitement and activity, and very welcoming and open to various different diverse people and from different backgrounds, or different uh, different religious levels. We we're all very comfortable, welcome in our home.
0: And were, were you uh, was that something that you were both on board with, or did one of you, was did she not like that so much? Did you push to be an open home? Just curious if it was something. So there was no
1: resistance at all. I you know I, I provided you know housekeeping and things that were um, that made that job easier. Of course, still a, a woman's home is affected by people coming in and and being in the in the space, but. Perhaps one of the warning signs that I didn't pay attention to or I ignored was by having all these uh, different types of people, particularly, let's say, yeshiva bachram or seminary students that never really formulated deep relationships as a couple. It filled Mm -hmm. a temporary void of having a sense of purpose Mm
2: -hmm. Uh,
1: in our table and, you know, being, you know, having all this, all this singing and all these, you know, dvar Torahs and, A a fun environment is almost like a a band-aid or a numbing for what's really necessary in in the growth of a family is developing healthy adult relationships, but healthy adult relationships with other adults in the same circumstances requires responsibility and accountability. Mm -hmm. And apparently as a couple, we were not effective in being able to have those types of connections. So it was numbed with other things.
0: Wow, that's fascinating. That's actually because it's, it's a fine line. I mean, you, uh, being very open and welcoming and then also having to focus on sometimes being selfish in a way, focusing on your own family. I know that's a challenge. I know a family who always has guests and they're, they're always very careful to, to also have the family time and try to balance it, but it's a big challenge. Uh, I'll just try to, I guess, go just a little bit more in this topic, just to sort of cover the background. So as as time went on, I mean, things I guess started to get difficult. You know, the the faults in the relationships were exposed. How long was that period of time? Did you, and and also like like at what point did you see it as this is not going to work out, or did you see it as like this is not working? Let's fix it and tried to fix it, but then it didn't work out. Like every marriage that ends in divorce has a totally different path to there so like what kind of path did yours take right. there's
1: a lot to talk about on that subject um mm-hmm. and i'm gonna That's... try to do it without without blame yeah absolutely. Um, I'm, an equal, I was, I'm an equal partner but i i really di- i didn't think that divorce was ever an option it was i, I fought very hard that there should not be a divorce okay so it's not an ideal companionship okay it's not mm-hmm. you know, maybe what I was hoping for. Okay. So and I'm just going to use a, a, an example, which is not a true example, it's just to set the tone. So what if she can't bake potato kugel? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's okay. You know, it's not the important aspect of a relationship. That's not the priority. And there's yeah. ways of, uh, of compensating or working around whatever I consider maybe a, uh, a deficiency in what I was hoping for. You know, I was very focused on my business, I was very focused on providing and being a, a, an active member in the community, and uh, I thought I was resilient enough to work around the warning signs. And there were definitely very clear warning signs, but because I was so independent and you know, I put up a bravado of, of success and, uh, and, and I was walking around with a smile on my face, no one was, felt comfortable to ask the, the obvious questions or confront the obvious um, mm-hmm. My family were overseas. This is a com- She came from a community that my circle of friends knew nothing about. And I thought I could, you know, overcome whatever things didn't feel right. And, and uh, you know, just be resilient yeah. and move through.
0: I just um, want to clarify a point because so this is a big thing sometimes. So just uh, if I may ask, like, was financial pressure a factor in your case?
1: Baruch like, Hashem, no. Um, I was Hashem blessed with a, a thriving business that had enough cash flow to pay for things so that they don't seem to be an issue. So we're often, you know, often financial could be an issue. It was was an issue only that I would hope hope for a more, maybe a more budget conscious or a more uh, fiscally responsible partner. But I, again, said, okay, you know, know, a, a Jewish mother of a big family has certain needs and expenses, housekeeping and takeout food and whatever else becomes the norm I just talked it up to that and I just mm-hmm. didn't I just you know sort of set those things aside every once in a while I would ask is this really necessary but the inability to even ask or have any type of a normal conversation about simple things like was that much money for that specific thing that necessary would be quickly interpreted as controlling an abuse now mm-hmm. controlling an abuse you know could be it's subjective um, sure. you know, there are controlling and abusive situations where, where the woman is locked in her home with no access to the outside world and, and be accountable to, to the penny for the loaf of bread and, and bottle of milk. And that's not the case.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, the term okay. financial abuse definitely is very, very broad, especially nowadays. One spouse asking the other, hey, what did you spend money on? That can be, it's by some definitions, a form of financial control. So I've heard that theme definitely a lot over the, the interviews we've done.
1: And you mentioned also about, you know, Rabban and more, in our circles, it's called a mashpia,
0: mm-hmm.
1: often a woman. They mean well and they're do gooders. But if they're going to take on that role, especially in a challenging relationship or a, a relationship that might have cracks at the foundation, then I do hold them seriously responsible for not doing proper research, not asking mm-hmm. enough questions. There are a few in particular in our city who, thought that they were being helpful when they were really extremely destructive. Not Mm -hmm. one of them ever, ever responded to my requests to talk or, you know, hear my perspective. And I, you know, I would always honor and respect them as the mashpia of of my ex. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'd say, but, you know, I just think for the sake of our marriage and for the sake of our children, would you please consider talking to me so you can just at least hear another perspective or what else? Fill in the gaps, and they were completely closed to that. And
0: wait. So, in your case, at... the the, the mashbia was only uh, for your your ex wife. She the mashbia is not a yeah. couple's mashbia.
1: Yeah. She, right. Only for my ex wife, because any time there was a couple involved, that would start to hear, or a therapist, or someone mm. actually qualified that would hear that there's you know there's a bigger picture here. That therapist or that um, whoever, whoever it was would be quickly fired, eliminated. And mm-hmm. I was encouraged to continue with that person as an identifiable problem, which mm-hmm. I was happy to do because I was seeking solutions. And, and I stayed in therapy for most of our marriage, but it was a mm-hmm. one-sided therapy. It didn't, it didn't make any progress because it wasn't a partner who would be willing to step in and, and like really hear the advice.
0: I'm very happy you brought up that point uh, about Rabbanim involvement. That's something that I want to get more into also at a later time, uh, because there are just so many examples, unfortunately. I see that as a common theme of Rabbanim or, you know, Mashpiyas who are not necessarily trained or their head is just not fully in it. And unfortunately, it's a very delicate subject and it's not often given the right care and Bad advice is thrown around, and it's sometimes really dangerous and deadly. Um, and I do want to talk more about that, but uh, since we don't have that much time for this episode, I want to just like skip ahead a little bit and just talk about the uh, the divorce process, basically how it went, how you settled things, and then sure. what happened next.
1: Sure. So at a certain point, when we started to see a, a, a repeating pattern of a lot of challenges and trouble with all of our kids or once they reached a certain age and that we actually were not on the same page as far as um, values and, and not just in Chinuch, but in general in life and, you know, being self-sufficient or being resourceful enough to, to having an education as a priority or a work ethic, things like that. We were just not on the same page. The kids would you know, teenagers in particular do what they do and they were you know, they play one against the other and the kids were starting to suffer and at a certain point after the last straw, we agreed, one of the coaches that I was working with convinced my ex and I to go to a program called The Meadows in Arizona, which is an extru- it's an intensive one week outpatient where you deal with relationship, like different things in relationship in our past that likely have an effect on our, in our marriage today. And they dig deep, they get into you know family origin family trauma that may have taken place in the family and the agreement was i would go for one week and then she would go the following week and i went and it was and uh, together it was, remarkable.
0: I, was there any no,
1: point... no, and then, oh and then there's supposed to be a follow-up together yeah and and, and, and it was incredible wow. i mean i it was it was an extremely liberating experience it was
2: wow you know they
1: dug very very deep and I, I actually recommend it which we can you know put links into there at the end of the podcast but there's um mm-hmm. some really powerful um very deep, intensive work that was done.
0: Was this like a last-ditch effort to save the marriage?
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was her turn to go. And, you know, day one, they dug deep. And within an hour, she claimed she wasn't feeling well, and she left and didn't go back. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, was the biggest indicator that this—there's <laughs> this, I'm not working with somebody that's going to mm-hmm. actually help where we, we can make some progress. And Sure, that's, that's and the then, minimum. Th- then there was the... Yeah, then there was, um, he wanted to separate with love. That was the, the way she described it, where she still loved me and she was still writing me love letters and love notes, you know, literally to the mm-hmm. last day. And she said she just wants a financial settlement. She's, we're in a state where women get a lot of support in the divorce process
2: mm-hmm. and
1: the law is the law. And, and in this particular state, you know, she's legally entitled to a very substantial Compensation, financial support, and compensation, and I agreed. She wanted a complete financial division of assets. She had never worked in the relationship, but in credit to her, she was the mother and she worked in the home. Mm -hmm. You know, with whatever resources I was providing to make her job easier. But I was never—it was never an expectation or obligation for her to work to contribute to building of assets or building or covering the family expenses. But fair is fair, right is right, and what was built in a marriage together being my ability to work while she took care of the home is legally mm. and morally and ethically considered a shared asset. And I have no problem with that. Mm-hmm. So sure. she said, well, let's separate with love. Give me what's legally entitled to me and, you know, we'll work out a, you know, we'll work out a legal agreement and we'll reevaluate in six months. And I said, I'm really sorry, but I don't, I don't think we do that. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm not okay with that. Or, you know, if, if this is a decision that you want to make, I want to see the family stay intact, and I accept that there are challenges. And but if you want to, if this is what you're wanting, and I'm not going to get in your way. And I basically drew up a. I had a, you know I had a forensic accountant and a lawyer dig into my assets after we met and figure out a plan that would take care of the children well until after they were 18, and give my ex and my kids a similar lifestyle without any interruption. I insisted on in keeping my, my home because that was what they, they knew and they were used to. But I gave my ex other valuable assets that mm-hmm. were equal in value. And I gave a get without any strings attached, without any, you know, any manipulation or any maneuvering or, or anything like that. Uh, it's the right thing to do. I, and I say this on your podcast strongly. Men should not be playing games with get and women shouldn't be either. Women at times will also use that as a manipulation to get more out of their you know, out of out of their husband or soon to be ex husband, and that's equally as destructive, and it's not talked about enough. Sure. So men should be giving it without any any strings attached, and women should be accepting it if that's the decision that was made. Sure.
0: Absolutely. Okay, so you settle everything. You have this agreement. You gave the get. It's over. The whole the whole the marriage is officially over what happened next? Like uh, how was the, how was life afterwards? And especially well, let's talk about with respect to, with respect to your children. Okay. How, how did they receive it? And I do want to get to the difficult parts as well. Yeah. Sure. The first
1: six months were very good. Actually, we were complimented on how well we're handling the divorce and the kids seem to be doing very well. Uh, school therapists were, well, you know, if a couple have to get divorced. You're the shining example of how to do it. And it's, wow, it's so refreshing and beautiful to see. And we got those types of compliments. And um, maybe it's because my ex actually thought that I'd come back to her after six months. But uh, I waited six months and there was, um, there was no, no overt parental alienation yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and things seemed to be working okay. You know, we, we had a legal judgment in place. We had 50-50 custody, but it, it, we were very, very relaxed around it. You know, you could have an extra Sunday here or you know, kids are coming later there or, you know, 50-50. But it, it didn't matter if it was, you know, 55, one week mm-hmm. and 48. Oh, sorry, it didn't matter. And it was working well. That's we, great. We had freedom. We could, you know, it was, things seemed to be OK. She got a, a substantial financial settlement and she was hopefully, you know, investing that and doing something with it to be independent of me, which is what she wanted. And OK. But then after six months, which I waited for six months before I entertained any dating, it's a challenge that from men have in that instinctively we want to raise a Jewish family. And, you know, we don't live in a, in a, by secular standards where, you know, there's no need to be married. You can just live a certain lifestyle. We want to raise a family that seemingly requires a spouse, so a husband or a wife, you know, post divorce. With that comes a, a lot of complications because there's, you know, there's other kids involved and there's, Blending a family—it's um, mm-hmm. a very, very challenging task. So there's this, there's this, catch-22. We want to build a family, we want to maintain a, a lifestyle under the realm of halakha. but in taking on that commitment, it opens up a huge, huge doors of other challenges.
2: Absolutely. But
1: I, I still waited six months. I went to intensive therapy, relationship trauma therapy, just to look through the, and to really dig deep into what. Know what went wrong and to protect myself from those mistakes again. And then after six months, there are a limited number of of from men that care to make a live that that making a living is a priority, being from is a priority, raising a family is a priority. That have certain you know emotional, healthy balance and 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 stability. Um, mm-hmm. I think that there's very few in the from world compared to how many women want to get married either the first or the second Mm -hmm. time
0: that's an interesting topic in itself yeah
1: yeah it is the evidence is that there were um different ideas came up but one idea in particular a lot of people would not let go on they just kept pushing it pushing and pushing literally to the point where my today my now father-in-law my new father-in-law came to my house and asked me to consider dating his daughter you know, it's um it which which is a tr- tremendous compliment
0: yeah that. absolutely
1: that's... especially because the lush and horror was already starting because now it was six months and i made it very clear that i'm not going back and i'm starting to date and mm. that's when everything completely imploded. the lush and horror went wow. through the roof things like i'm not supporting my family i'm, you know, I'm going to make them homeless they have nowhere to eat there's no food in the refrigerator um, I'm leaving them stuck. I, it's like I mean, wow. stories that are so easily verifiable, so easily verifiable. And I just kept right. quiet. But the, this, these are the stories going around and nobody and, uh, and even bothered to ask, except for my today's sure. father-in-law who he said straight up, he said, look, I'm, you know, I think this is a good idea, but I'm hearing a lot of Lush and horror, and this is my daughter. I need, I just need to make sure that my daughter is okay before I, you know, before, firstly, he didn't know that we had already actually gone out a few nights earlier, so that that's hilarious, funny,
0: that's yeah. Hilarious. But I
1: told me we'd already gone out. And He asked, and I said, "I've got no problem showing you. I don't show this to to, to people, but you know, you're um, you're, you're you're the someone that should be aware." And I pulled out our judgment. I pulled out cash checks. I pulled out documents that are un, you know, just they're indisputable. And right. I mean, he literally almost fainted. Wow. I'm so sorry. It didn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter how many zeros are in the end of your agreement. You're going to, this is just, it is what it is. And don't worry. Stay, you know, keep your head high and do, do what you're just continue doing what you're doing and don't, you know, there's going to be naysayers and people who doubt and question. And if they if they're sincere, they'll ask, if they won't
0: ask and they're not sincere. Wow. So your father-in-law, he didn't know that you were going out. You already had gone out on a date with his daughter and, but he thought of that idea on his own. Uh, to try to seek out, to uh, set his daughter up with you. He, he was obviously impressed with That's, that's a pretty amazing thing. Yeah. So after, after your, your marriage to your wife, now, the, the, the relationship with your children changed. I mean, you, you know, and you said some, some things were being said about you that you weren't supporting them. Did that trickle down to them? Did they hear about that? And they uh,
1: began hearing that. at first they were actually very supportive. In fact, in, at first, It came back to me that my ex even said, well, I can't think of a better stepmother for my children
2: at first. Wow. Mm
1: -hmm. Things were okay. And my my wife is exceptional to her stepchildren, to my children. Exceptional. I mean, till today, even though they never really gave her a chance, the the older ones that is, but she was exceptional. Even beyond, I mean, we were circumstances where she had to make a choice between taking care of my kids or her own kids. She was Mm -hmm. she would make time for my kids and she would literally go to the end of the world to find or do things that they want. She really was. And she was and she was a valuable mother role model in a turbulent Mm -hmm. time. And At this point I'm going to add, I have an excellent relationship with my wife's ex-husband because we're all on the same page and we all respect and acknowledge the value of all all
0: of us. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you're you're his uh, you're his children's stepfather, right? Yeah, right. That that's an amazing um, and, and, thing. It's such know, a hard that, that's a whole other topic. I, I hope we could get together again and talk about just that topic alone. Uh, I'm sure fine. we can it's talk. So
1: beautiful. I mean, I I have chills just just saying. It's a very powerful topic. That when it works, it's so powerful. The kids benefit so much. Yeah. When it works, right. And but there's that, no yeah. bad mouthing. There's no jealousy. We're focused on the right path to just help these kids get through these years to independence. When right. it works, it's, it's the biggest bracha. It's the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. I can't think of a greater um, a, a greater simcha when it
0: works. Wow, and it's such an amazing thing for kids to see. I think the kids seeing that is just that itself is just so powerful. Seeing the adults in their life get along for the benefit of the children that they love. It's so difficult. I mean, you yeah, see it so it's often. Very, not very working.
2: Difficult.
1: Sure, because there's ego or jealousy or insecurities. But mm-hmm. I, I, I really do, in, in my case, give the utmost credit to my stepchildren's biological father, my wife's ex-husband, mm-hmm. I give a lot of credit to him. And I give equal or even more credit to my to my wife,
2: mm-hmm.
1: because she, she really prioritizes sure. things. And she executes them, you know, efficiently with a very delicate needle and thread to make sure the tapestry is sewn together in the right way. So it's amazing.
0: Um, yeah. So, could, could we talk about your daughter? Your sure. is she one of the older kids in the family?
1: She's a middle child.
0: Middle child. Was she alienated from you? What, what's the timeline? I, I we spoke briefly about uh, the it. the Timeline but... is pretty much yeah.
1: as soon as I as soon as I was public about who I was dating, and we did date for a year and a half before I got married. It was you know, I did want to take it slow and be very careful.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: She from the beginning. At first, she was very excited, and she was actually genuinely happy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and she and was about day, how
0: old? How old was she about at that time?
1: At that point, she was um, about 13.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and we were very close. Um, she passed away about, uh, about eight months ago. But we mm-hmm. were very
0: close. Yeah. And I'm so sorry. I, I'm... Right. Yeah, we're recording this in in the summer of twenty twenty two. Yeah. Just to mention that. So okay, about um, eight months ago. She, it's very, very recently. She passed
1: away and I hadn't seen her. Um I was only able to see her once when she was in the hospital. In you know, from the age literally of thirteen to twenty. She passed away at twenty years old. Wow. Um yeah. Oh my god. And she um she, she she's a very special neshama, very delicate and very sensitive and very perceptive, and I guess she she did I found out now something that I always suspected, but it, it was it was kept a secret for me, it was a hidden family secret that she was abused when she was younger and oh, that had an effect on her as she became an adolescent and the more I wanted to get help for her or find answers to, to the source of her trauma, um, the more alienated I was. I was, you know, I was the one that was accused of being, you know, meddling and interfering with her care and her treatment. Mm-hmm. So I was really more and more alienated, even though I, I covered her medical bills and I covered her medical insurance, and you know, my, my medical insurance must have paid tens, if not maybe, I don't know, tens of millions of dollars on her care over, over that journey. But every time they came close to like identifying the source of her trauma, that doctor, that therapist, or that whoever it was, was eliminated. Just like Mm -hmm. I was eliminated. So we could never get to the truth. And then there was a process of parental alienation that, that happened slowly And Mm -hmm. that can also be a substantial subject at some point to talk about. Parental alienation is child abuse. And parental alienation can result in the death of a child.
2: Sure,
1: of course. such a huge responsibility. And if there's one thing that I can hopefully convey out of this whole podcast is the importance of protecting children from parental alienation. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just, it's literally... It could be the matter of life and death. It, it, children need both parents. They need both parents, and they need to know that both parents are trustworthy, that both parents love them unconditionally, that both parents' love is trusted, and even if the parents can't get along or live in the same house together, that both parents are equally invested in the care of the child and are, you know, are equally loving parents that need to be trusted. It's, it's, there's no big, those children, they grow up, they're going to have to have a spouse one day and their perception of what a father is, or what a mother is, if one side alienates the other, it gets affected by these childhood messages.
0: Absolutely. It's, it's such a painful story. And I've, I've heard painful stories from, it happens slowly. And it's some, sometimes you don't really realize it until so much damage is done. And it's very frightening. And in your case, was it the fact, I'm just uh, wondering how to ask this, but like, because you were alienated and you, did you like just not have access to her? You weren't able to talk to her, visit her or be involved in her care? Like, would you have, was there aspects of her care that you wanted to do differently, but you just weren't able to because of. An excellent,
1: excellent question. Um, I I was walking a tightrope Mm -hmm. and the advice I got was to just love her from a distance. Don't play into the rhetoric that doctors would have been told that this child has a crazy, unhinged father that's going to show up at the hospital banging on the desk, demanding or he's going to, you know, whatever, whatever stories they were told. And they were told these stories. And eventually, mm-hmm. slowly those few doctors that weren't eliminated did admit to me that they were told these things, having never met me. Mm-hmm. But I made the decision not to interfere because if I interfere, then for sure I'll be blamed. Mm-hmm. So even though I, I you know, I, I made many suggestions of treatment centers or hospitals that specialize in my daughter's specific challenges. And in essence, I'll just share with you: it's, it what started off as disordered eating became an eating disorder, and then after time, and it not being treated properly, and not being treated at the source
2: mm-hmm.
1: and the root of the trauma. Her body shut down. It uh, it was it was just it was literally less and less that could be done for her. And
0: oh, it's terrifying.
1: Again, it's terrifying. Yeah. Ter- what's, what's also terrifying is under the laws of the state I'm in, someone over the age of 18 has the right to make a decision uh, to withhold care. And it's, mm-hmm. In essence, it's a form of assisted suicide. And um, they found phony rub on him and misquoted or didn't get. The proper information, never looked at medical records. And they found someone who they claimed made it suck, that it would be okay, they'll just let her die.
0: Oh, oh my God.
1: And I wouldn't, I wouldn't accept that. And um, I eventually, when I found out about how that order was in place, I actually sued the hospital she was in, demanding that they give her the utmost of care and keep her alive, which is moral, it's ethical or a wow. way this hope is hope. And, and I was, again, the bad guy here because I, I literally brought the hospital to their knees because they realized they had a very serious problem on their hands. I did have a valid case, even though the law was the law. Um, and the judge stood up for me and he said, this is the toughest case he's ever, ever had to try in probate court ever. And, he just looked at me and he said, I don't see anyone else here fighting to save your daughter's life, but you, sir, mm. and I stand for you. I honor you and I respect you. Um, but his job is to interpret the law. And unfortunately, there is such a, there's, there's such a way of manipulating the law to where someone over the age of 18 could, you know, if, if they had, you know, there's a way of doing it. And they, in the hospital at a certain point, stop giving her the nutrients she needed and she did pass
0: away oh this is incredibly heavy stuff there's a there's a a, so the judge is 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 there with you saying he he, it's breaking his heart He, he sees a father fighting to keep his daughter alive and he just can't do anything about it because there's some text written by some state legislators Right uh,
1: and they're actually working on changing that legislation right now, thankfully, um, to prevent such a thing from happening again, because someone at the age at this age who can't even buy a, a bottle of beer yeah um, and who's under heavy good. medication and under hasn't been nourished in, in years properly and and has a lot of emotional trauma and and again back to the the wrong type of support and if you sense any anger in my, in my voice it's it's from that mm-hmm. from people, some of them in our own community who think they're doing good, who did not do the research. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of them would be screaming, you know, she's going to protect women and women's rights. And she's a, a, a feminist. Well, mm-hmm. that type of blind support is very, very dangerous. And yeah. they did not do their proper research. No one came to me and asked me, can I just you know, hear your opinion or can I look at some documentation or can we just look into this a little bit more carefully?
2: hmm.
0: Wow. I think one of the one of the things I, I hope people take away from the podcast in general and this episode now in particular is just that is how complicated things are. People just want a simple two or three facts about someone or some case and just make a decision. You just can't. There's there's so many angles. And, and, and the sad thing is that the people who are supposed to help and that they're supposed to be involved, like they can't always be counted on to do their job. Or at least, you know, admit when admit when they need to take a step back. I mean, it's it's just like it just really rips my heart out. What what happened to you? And I hear it in your voice. I can't imagine. I never want to know what that's like. It's just it's unimaginable pain. It mm-hmm. happens
1: slowly. It happens slowly. It's you know, it's so uh, it's sure. like when the when the when the Manetra were attacked by Amalek. You know, Amalek mm-hmm. is Suffolk is doubt, and it just starts with a little bit of doubt, and
2: mm-hmm. then
1: that doubt can eventually grow into literally to what we see as anti-Semitism today, which, which unfortunately murdered many, many Jews throughout the generations. It starts with doubt. And mm. there's a big obligation here for the people who think they're doing good. If you know, they, they need to get... Uh, somebody asked me just yesterday about there's another you know, the situation in the community that involves, it involves a divorce, and I said, I, I'm not qualified to help you. I might have some experience Mm. but i'm just not qualified Mm
2: -hmm.
1: people need to have the courage to say this is a big deal this is important the consequences are too big and i'm gonna not just back away but i'm going to demand if you want my friendship that you get the proper guidance and you make sure there's a team of people involved to seek the truth Mm -hmm. and, and make better decisions because i have no doubt in my mind The many, many options that I presented and my insurance was willing to pay for or I was willing to pay for that could have been given to my daughter to save her life, they were not, they were discounted or they were nixed before they even, before they even got Mm -hmm. properly explored.
0: Right. I can't, I can't imagine the, what goes on in your heart, uh, thinking back to all those possible Paths that you were shut down. I mean, I like how you use the word courage. People need to have the courage to say when they're not qualified. It's it's so just so heartbreaking. The,
1: the, so, just in this in this part of this podcast, I want to just again emphasize the uh, the dangers of parental alienation. Um, there's always mm-hmm. two sides to a story, and I'm not making this statement as if I'm completely innocent. I know that I'm a I'm a contributing factor. A, there are, each side is a contributing factor, one way or another. Mm-hmm. So just the issue is so big
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it should, be, um, it should be handled very delicately so as it relates to the, um, the struggle of some men please be very very careful if there's any signs of parental alienation to make sure that that is protected that the family unit and the respect for a father and a mother is protected and Rabunam must get involved, qualified rabbanim, mm-hmm. and qualified mediators and qualified not lawyers. Lawyers are simply out for blood. They're out for their own, you know, for their own bill. I don't believe that they right. care. Um, of
0: course not. No, of course. Must
1: get involved. They must get involved and protect the children from the fallout of bed.
0: How would they get involved? Right. I mean, this is a, yeah, I guess it's a new topic. I, I don't want to go well, too much into it, but since we're, we're really in the thick of it and, um, and it's such an emotionally I, heavy... I thought
1: about this. Yeah, I thought about like, this a bit. Um, if I could have my way... I would want the families that are supporting both sides of the, of the couple going through a divorce. Somebody is supporting both mm-hmm. sides in one way or another, financially, emotionally. They have a responsibility to tell the money supply and the supply of validation and the supply of whatever it is that's, that's fueling each side
2: mm-hmm.
1: that they have to stop. And this is way above their pay grade. Whatever it takes to A, keep it out of secular courts because I don't think secular courts are going to look out for the best interest of the children always. They claim they do but it's a big manipulation and it's a big it's a, it's, it's a referral business um, it doesn't it doesn't the, by nature it provides the environment where one has to be aggressive or critical of the other
2: mm-hmm.
1: in, in one yeah, way or
0: absolutely, another. Absolutely. The best should, interest of in the kids is... To stop it. Yeah, exactly uh, once one of the parties bring it to court that's it's a very challenging not, thing yeah. I guess Rabbanim, as you said could do more to I guess hold the families accountable uh, you know the ones families or others backing one of the parties I mean or community
1: members or wealthy mm-hmm. community members that bought a sob story and they right. think because of their wealth they're somewhat untouchable and they know better because they're successful but they might be successful in one area of their life but right. if they support or a God by has a responsibility to know what he's raising money for.
0: Exactly. And one of the things that, you know, I didn't know before talking to you and, and some others is that this is not just uh, a situation where it creates something uncomfortable or a less than ideal situation. Like this, this literally is life and death. I, 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 that's one of the messages I really want to get out there, people to, to hear. This is life and death. These are children. This is their lives. I mean, this is uh, our own story is one of the more uh, extreme cases. But I mean, even in the not even in other cases, like it, it's still life and death. It's still generational trauma, generational changes, yeah. even if it doesn't result yeah. in, in the, the physical children, death. It's, 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 it's so
1: emotional. Um, exactly. There's deep insecurities. The kids develop um, low self-esteem or the, the fears and insecurities it makes children vulnerable to predators because predators know how to smell a Mm -hmm. vulnerable child. And there's a lot of layers to this. Um, I I think that my daughter, um, because as a middle child and she was, she was bullied Mm -hmm. by her siblings and then she had her own journey of insecurity. um, I think she was, she was identified as a potential target by a predator.
0: Mm -hmm. That's a terrible angle. You mentioned it briefly and I didn't, go into it much but i mean that's a critical critical angle that just i guess created this storm that just with the divorce and with the alienation and with the the abuse uh it must have been incredibly i can't imagine how difficult those years were for her it's just it must have been they were unbelievable yeah,
1: it, 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 she had she had at one point um tattooed into her arm um it, it's a burden to be here or it's a something to that extent where she felt herself as a burden on the world, on wow. society, on, on everyone.
2: Yeah. Wow.
1: <clears throat> Parents must not ever burden their children with their challenges, be them financial, emotional, insecure, whatever. Children are not their therapists.
0: Mm-hmm. That's an amazing message. Your children need to see you. You have to be the strength. You have to be the ones. They're, they're not therapists. You're leading them. They're not to carry emotional burdens of their parents. Uh, who could say it better than you? That's, thank you so much, Aaron, for coming on today to the Let's Get Serious podcast. Really appreciate it so much. And you gave us so much to think about. And it was really brave of you to share your story. And uh, and I hope we'll, we'll have you back later to, to talk more about some important topics that we, we covered only briefly. So thank you so much, Aaron.
1: Thank you. And to everyone out there in these difficult times, stay focused thank you for listening to the let's get serious podcast please like subscribe and share this podcast with your friends and family help us reach more men in our community and help them navigate their relationships and build the best lives for themselves and their loved ones